Today, we will look at the first half of Psalm 5 as we do a summer series on various psalms in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 5 begins, it says, to the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Thus ends the reading of the inspired and errant word of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, when you speak, Lord, we should listen. So give us that attentive spirit uh, that we might show respect to your holy word. That we might understand, Lord, as we do, it is for our benefit. For it's the word of God that transforms us and renews our minds. So, Lord, teach us by the spirit of God what uh, you would teach us today through this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning... The first six verses of Psalm 5, they can be divided, and we are going to divide them into two uh, sections, two points today. Matthew Henry said the first three verses show us God as a prayer-hearing God. And verses 4 through 6 show us God as a sin-hating God. So those are the two points, really, today. Uh, in Psalm 65, verse 2... It says, it says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. God is a prayer-hearing God. Jonathan Edwards, he was a key figure at the center of the Great Awakening uh, in this country. Uh, a great time of revival and awakening. And he preached a sermon in the year 1735 on that verse, Psalm 65-2. And it's titled, The Most High. A prayer hearing God. And this is just a quote from his sermon. He said, The Most High God, uh, the Most High is a God that hears prayer. Though he is infinitely above all and stands in need of no creatures, yet he is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor worms of the dust. When they stand in need of anything, he allows them to come and ask it of him. And he is wont to hear their prayers. You may feel like a worm or less than a worm this morning, but know that God is a prayer-hearing God, and He will pay attention to you if you come to Him in the ways that we will see today outlined in our passage. So, so the first three verses, as we look at them, we see that since He is a prayer-hearing God, we we see that, that that behooves us to seek Him first, to seek Him early, to seek Him, yes, in the morning. 
as we sang earlier. Far too often, it's been said, people turn to God in prayer as a last resort instead of a first response. That's a cliche. Now, we, we, we know that, but it's true. Uh, and, and so David, by seeking God in prayer early in the morning, he shows us the best path. And he begins in verse 1, by pleading with God, give ear to my words. Give ear to my words. What an incredible thing to realize that God bends his ear, the God of heaven, uh, who lives in unapproachable light, who dwells in glory, bends his ear down to listen to us poor worms and our little needs. And so God has no need of course, of our prayers. He certainly doesn't need to be informed by them. We're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know. Uh, he doesn't have to listen to us, but he chooses to. He, he desires to because he has adopted us, he's redeemed us, he saved us so that he might uh, bless us. And, of course, to bless us not only with the things we need, but to bless us with the knowledge of himself. David begins to address God with the phrase, O Lord. And you might notice in in your English Bible that Lord is in all capital letters. And uh, it is the Hebrew name Yahweh. We're not sure really how it's pronounced. The, The Hebrew was not written with vowels. Those have to be supplied. Another way of saying that name is Jehovah. It's the name by which God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. It is when God said, my name is I am. I am that I am, or I am what I will be. I, I, I simply am. Now this name, of course, uh, says tells us things about God, that he is self-existent, that he is independent, that he is immutable, that is unchangeable. And that he has an infinite fullness uh, in his divine being. There's nothing lacking in him. Nothing that needs to be supplied. Nothing can ever be taken away from this God. And for us who are praying to this God, uh, it means that he is a fountain of unlimited resources by which... He meets our needs and answers our prayers. He will never grow weary. He will never run out of something that we need. Uh, He will never change his mind toward us. If he has loved us from eternity, he will love us now and forever. And so the most important part of prayer, you see, is for us to know who it is that we're praying to. We know, of course, that we need to pray in faith without doubting. Um, And the question is, well, how do we grow in our faith? We know that our faith needs strengthening. It's weak at times. And we know that the Bible says that the faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But I would say to you that particularly it's when we hear what that word says to us about God himself that we will grow in our faith. So when you read the Bible... When you hear the Bible read or preached, 
listen in most intently for what it says about God, because the greater our view of God, the greater our faith, the greater our peace and tranquility, the greater our confidence in living life in a sinful and fallen world. And so when we come to God as the all-sufficient, inexhaustible fountain of being, we know that He's able to supply our needs. Uh, There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He can do more, literally, than we could ever ask or imagine or think. And to this God, David prays. To this God, we pray. David says, consider my meditation. It's an interesting word because the Hebrew word implies a type of speech such as a whisper or just a murmuring or groaning. Consider my groaning. Consider the the things that I can't even voice into a coherent sentence. Um, You know, when we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray for. God hears the groaning of our hearts. He reads our minds. And Psalm 38, 9 captures this well. It says, Lord, all my desires before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. We, we are familiar with a lot of our desires, but there's some desires that we're confused. You know, there's, we can't really understand what's really going on in our hearts. We're like, what? What are we thinking? What are we feeling? But God understands it. He can interpret it. This is connected, of course, to the work of the Holy Spirit. As Romans says, that he intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So uh, he interprets the language of the heart and our deepest thoughts and affections and emotions toward him. In verse 2, he gives us expression to the, uh, to the meditation. He says, give heed to the voice of my cry. Now, a loud outcry is something that comes often uh, from a person who is either very excited and jubilant about something or a person in distress. Um, Please don't yell fire in the midst of this service, (laughs) right? Unless there's really a fire. But if you did you probably wouldn't whisper it, right? It would be a loud outcry. There's, there's a need. There's a distress. And, um, you know, so, so David is crying out to the God, uh, to the Lord. And uh, it, this reminds us of, um, of how Jesus was characterized in his prayer life. Hebrews 5, 7 says that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. How? With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. So Jesus offered up prayers, supplications, just like you and I do. Uh, Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for others. And uh, he offered these prayers with great passion, with vehement cries, with tears. And, And I would ask, has there ever been in your life uh, a prayer or the kind of praying that we read that Jesus had. Uh, Not every prayer has to be this way in a sense. And I'm not saying that 
you have to work yourself up into a frenzy in order to get your prayers answered. But, you know, James 5.16 does say this. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Okay, so uh, the opposite of that would be a half-hearted prayer. Uh, kind of, you know, I'm not really really caring that much. I'm just going through the motions. I'm saying the prayer. I don't really believe God's going to answer. And I really don't care if he does. That's, that's, not, that's the kind of prayer that really is, is never going to be answered. God's like, are you serious? Do you want an answer? It, it'll be expressed. Um, not only in your heart, but in the way you pray. So fervent prayer, earnest prayer. It, it's the opposite of cold, lifeless, or lukewarm praying. God... Jesus said, you know, I don't like lukewarm water. <laughs> I don't like lukewarm Christians. Right? And it, so God doesn't want us to have lukewarmness in any part of our Christian lives. Okay? You may be lukewarm this morning listening to this sermon. God doesn't like lukewarm listeners. He doesn't like lukewarm prayers. He doesn't like lukewarm Christians, period. So <clears throat> apply this to prayer. Uh, and I think we will pray with fervency when we realize our need and when we see that only God can meet that need. When we get desperate enough in a situation, uh, we will cry out. We will pray fervently. So, you know, that's why Philippians says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but pray and make your supplications known to God with thanksgiving. So uh, when we are tempted to be anxious, then... We need to bring those particular concerns to God and, and pray with uh, passion, with conviction, uh, Lord, believing that God will hear us uh, and meet our needs. So David addresses the Lord. He goes on and he says, my king and my God. And notice he, that David has not yet made any particular requests uh, Yet in his prayer, he's he's seeking God, first of all, for his own sake. You see, uh, pr prayer, even if there were no requests that we made of God, is worth uh, it's worth the time to spend in prayer simply seeking God for his own sake to acknowledge the Lord, to worship him uh, for who he is. And so David's prayer is God centered, God centered. Again, that's something that we can apply to every part of the Christian life. But prayer should be God-centered. He's praying as the Lord uh, taught us to pray in the, in the Lord's Prayer. There's a structure, you see, that Jesus says we ought to have in prayer. And the first part of prayer, the most important part, is to put God and His glory, His honor, uh, and His will and His kingdom before our Needs. Now David uses this personal possessive word, my, my king, my God. You know, David was Israel's king, but God was David's king. And he's your king too, if you know Jesus Christ. Speaking of his kingship, of course, is a way to speak of his sovereignty and his powerful rule. Psalm 99 verse 1, the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. 
So to call God uh, our king is to understand that the nations are in his hands and they are under his control. Your life is in his hands and under his control. We are his people. He is our God. And, and, and uh, he is the king. And yet he is our king. And this is who we're praying to. David said, for to you I will pray. And this is a resolution. And he says, to you, to you and no other. Because you are the only true and living God. God is to be the only object of our worship. We just read in the Ten Commandments. Which has a similar pattern, by the way, uh, as, as the Lord's Prayer does. God and, and his glory come first. You shall have no other gods before me. To you and you only will I pray. Deuteronomy 4.39 declares, Therefore know this day, and consider it in your heart, that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Period. There is no other. David makes a resolution, I will pray. I will pray. So he's resolved to pray and to pray at the start of each day. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you. So by his example we learn that we ought to begin our day with God. That way, of course, we're more likely to continue uh, the day with God. So begin your day with God. Jesus taught the same thing by his example. And we just read that earlier. Mark 1.35 says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, that is Jesus, went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So to pray in the morning, you see, is, 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 is a, there's a principle behind that is to give God the first part of all that we have, whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure, or anything. It's to do what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we seek God first, and then when we seek him in prayer, we put his interests first in the prayer. And, and in that passage in Matthew, Jesus was talking about the things that we tend to worry about, right? What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? You know, the, you know, how are we going to pay the bills? Uh, where's the money coming from? All, all these kind of things. And he says, your father knows your needs. He knows you need those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then all these other things will be added to you. Right? Don't seek first. I've got to make sure that I have enough money. Uh, and then I'll be at peace. That's what we tend to think, isn't it? At times. We tend to think, as long as i got enough money in the bank, everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. <laughs> as long as you put God first, then everything else will be okay. Even if there is no money in the bank. Even if there, as Habakkuk said uh, earlier, uh, that we read for the call to worship, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, the labor of the olive fails, the field yields no food, and the flock may be cut off from the fold. Those things are really not that important. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, you see. Because if I know him, if, if I seek him first, I know he's going to take care of me no matter what. Well, 
Um, <clears throat> of course, we can pray and should pray, and Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer to, you know, for the things that we need for our daily bread, which covers really all of our needs, all of our physical needs, material needs. Uh, and he teaches to pray about spiritual needs, forgiveness of sins, uh, and deliverance from evil. And we'll get into that more in the second half of the sermon. But to start the day with prayer is to start the day with God. In the morning, I will direct it to you, David said. That word direct is interesting. It means to arrange, to set in order, to prepare. And uh, so our prayers is saying that, that I will direct, I will arrange my prayer to you in the proper way. Our prayers should not be haphazard, you see. Again, following the order that we find in Scripture. God first and our needs next. And, and also we, we might say that it's not good for us to rush into the presence of God without thinking about who He is, reflecting upon His nature, His character. Uh, and so we should prepare our heart in humility so that we can honor Him in our approach uh, seek God. Seek God first for his own sake, not just so we can get the things we need. He's going to take care of us, but he wants us to seek him. Uh, seek his will, his kingdom, his glory. And then we can move on to our particular needs, which he already knows. So last thing David says in verse 3, he says, and I will look up. You know, how easy it is in life to just look down. Woe is me. Everything's falling apart. Have you done that this week? Probably. <laughs> I probably have as well. Uh, there are those moments when we just think everything is, is gone downhill. Nothing good. So I'm just looking down. I'm looking down. David says, look up. I will look up. I will look up. And, and, and so to look up is to do what the New Testament says. Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it's to put our confidence and trust in Him who is on His throne. It may not seem like it in your life. It seems like everything's out of control. But it's under His control. Psalm 113 verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? So when trouble comes, where are you going to look for help? If you look within... Not going to find it there. Look around. Look to other people. Look to the world. You're not going to find it there. Your help comes from the Lord. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, Psalmist said, from whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'm going to look up to God and where He's seated on His throne because I know that He is able. Well, that phrase, look up, can also be translated to watch or to look out. In other words, we ought to lift up our prayers to God, but also looking out or watching expectantly for what he's going to do in response. Don't just pray and say, well, maybe something will happen, maybe one I'll, you know, and then forget about it. No, look expectantly. Faith needs to continue after the prayer is offered as we wait upon the answer. That's part of what it means to wait upon the Lord. Can you wait? Or are you kind of impatient about things? Oh, that's easy, right? 
be easy to be impatient. Um, but God is, you know, God's timetable is usually is, is not the same as ours. It's usually a lot slower and steadier. Uh, we like to rush things, but God has a different. Let's get in tune with him and his way. And so if we really believe God hears us and will answer our prayers, then we need to be alert to see and wait to see when and how he will reply. So let's think about careful preparation, uh, patient expectation, approaching God for his own sake in prayer with confidence that he is Jehovah, he is Yahweh, he is the all-sufficient one. He's our God and our King. He's a prayer here in God. This is who he is. This is the most important thing for us to know about prayer, is to know that he is who he is. But secondly, as we look now uh, a little more briefly, uh, just so you'll know, uh, we look at verses 4 to 6. Our God is a sin-hating God, and therefore we need to pray uh, against evil and pray to be delivered from evil. And so he continues to focus, however, on the character of God in this section. And here he's honing in on the purity or the holiness of God. God is a sin-hating God because he's a holy God. Uh, You're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. So when we come into the presence of God, we do become aware of our sin. We also become aware of the sins of the world around us. And David notes that God doesn't take pleasure in wickedness. God, and again, he never changes, so he can never condone sin. Yes, he loves sinners. And thankfully, he loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. But he hates sin. Uh, He cannot take pleasure in it, whether it's in your life now as a Christian or in someone who doesn't know Christ. And so when we come before him in prayer, then then we must come with uh, confession of sin, repenting of sin. And, uh, you know, David goes on, he says, nor shall evil dwell with you. So if we come into the presence of God and we know that evil cannot dwell in his presence and there and we come with evil and sin on our conscience, we know we have to deal with it if we're going to be praying aright. If we want this prayer here in God to answer our prayers, we've got to deal with the sin. You see, we think of the other needs. We tend to think of those other needs, those material needs, as more important. God looks at the spiritual needs that you and I have. And he says, that's what I really want to deal with. Your sin, your heart, your attitude, your actions, your words, your thoughts, and so forth. So, since God hates evil, when we come to him in prayer, then... We do need to pray, deliver us from evil, like the Lord's Prayer teaches. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, You know, when we think about the remaining sinfulness in our hearts and in our lives as Christians, uh, it's a wonder that God allows us to keep praying to Him at all. That's why we have to come with humble, contrite hearts. That's why we have to come with... Hearts that look once again to the bleeding side of Jesus Christ and His wounds as He 
died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. So we, we seek that cleansing from the Lord. Every time we pray, we need to confess our sins and seek forgiveness. And so to, is, if we pray without repenting, if we pray without addressing sin, we're, we're missing one of the most important purposes of prayer, and that is to get forgiveness, to get our hearts right with God, and, and, to, and to be sanctified by the Spirit of God. Yes, God wants to do something for you, but He wants to do something in you uh, as well. The Bible says, if we regard iniquity in our hearts, that the Lord will not hear us. And really, it's, it's being double-minded, isn't it? I want to hold on to my sin, but Lord, will you do this for me? Is that going to work with God? No. Uh, Spurgeon put it this way. He says, Christ will not live in the parlor of our hearts if we entertain the devil in the cellar of our thoughts. So we got we got to choose. Uh, is it going to be the Lord or the devil? The Lord or the world that creeps in? So those who delight in sin... They can pray, and many who delight in sin and love their sin do pray. But until they turn from their sin, until they humble themselves and have a contrite heart confessing their sin, God is not going to be pleased to hear them. Now, once we gain this right perspective on God's holiness, our sin, our need of forgiveness and cleansing and sanctification, uh, then we're ready to pray about the evil in the world. The evil out there. Uh, Jesus said first, take the speck out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to... Or or take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of someone else's eye. And I think the same principle applies in prayer. There's so much sin in the world, and yet the sin in our own lives is, is really a priority in terms of our prayer life. Not that we shouldn't pray about what's going on in the world. We should. And this is what David is doing. And in verse 5, he says, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. There were men who were boasting uh, in themselves and in their power and their prowess, and they're going to take David down. But Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Or the rich man boasts in his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. This is the only proper place to boast. Let him who boasts boast or glory in the Lord. David goes on, you hate all workers of iniquity. Let that sink in for a minute. We usually say God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And there's truth in that statement. Properly understood, but... Here, David says God hates the sinner himself, the worker of iniquity. Now, of course, we're all sinners who deserve the hatred of God. But David, I think, is speaking about those who have not yet been converted. They have given themselves over to sin and doing iniquity. They love sin. They're slaves to it. They they don't have a desire to be saved from it. They don't seek forgiveness. They uh, don't seek to change. They want to pursue their sin. Clark's commentary says, Some sin now and then, others generally, 
some constantly, and some labor in it with all their might. These are the workers of iniquity. Such, even the God of infinite love and mercy hates. Poole's commentary says those who are being referred to here are those who make sin their choice, design, and business, giving up themselves to the constant or customary practice of it. They've given themselves over to sin. They're not even thinking about anything else. Now, in, in a day, in our day, we're, we're so used to hearing of the love of God from the pulpit, and we overlook the clear statements in Scripture that God himself has a holy hatred for evil and does not tolerate those who commit it. We fail to understand the holiness of God. One theologian said it this way. He says, the modern church wants therapy, not redemption. They want to be happy, not holy. They want to feel good, not be good. They want to avoid pain, not sin. King David goes on in verse 6. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So God, first of all, hates Liars. He hates liars. Revelation 21.8 says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God hates the liar who will not repent of his or her lying. And we've all told lies. And in that sense, we are liars, but we're repentant liars. I hope that if you are guilty of lying or deception, that you realize you need to repent of, of that. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We just read earlier. God abhors the bloodthirsty person. And abhor is a very strong word. It means to loathe, to detest, to regard as an abomination. Why does God loathe or abhor the bloodthirsty person? Because a bloodthirsty person is a murderer. And a murderer is attacking the very image of God. Read Genesis 9-6 and it says that the one who commits murder shall be put to death because in the image of God he made man. And we should not murder because we, it's a direct attack upon God himself. And today, what do we see? We see a lot of killing, a lot of murdering, whether it's those who clamor for the right to kill children in the womb, these wicked uh, people who, who scream and yell for the right to slaughter the innocent. How evil, how perverse they are. And God does hate them. Now, some of them do change. A few of them change their mind. They repent of their sins. And God is merciful. He's merciful to the person, to the woman who has had an abortion, who has committed this horrible sin against God. And, and, and when we turn to him, he is willing to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, but he abhors the murderer. He will bring school shooters, other mass murderers to justice. And you know, the very worst murderers were those who cried out for the blood of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Not only did, uh, was... Christ, a, a, a true man, uh, had a human body and a human nature. In that sense, 
He was in the image of God, but he was God himself. And yet, he was arrested and Pilate was attempting to have him released. In Matthew 27, the crowds cried out, let him be crucified. Crucify the Son of God, the one who says he's the Son of God. This is how murderous our hearts are by nature. And Pilate says, I'm innocent of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a woeful curse they pronounce on themselves. But even as Jesus hung on the cross, what did He say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He's willing to forgive. He's extending uh, an open door of salvation even to those who put Him to death. And one of those on the cross who was a criminal, repented, didn't he? And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Because he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And then one of the soldiers who was standing at the cross when Jesus died, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Something happened in his, in his heart, in his soul. I think he came to know the Lord and was forgiven in that moment. So great wickedness can be forgiven. Great sinners can be saved. That's the hope that we proclaim in Jesus Christ today. And such were some of us. And such would we have been, and even worse, if not for the grace of God. And so, as we think about evil and wickedness in the world, we first have to address it in our own hearts. And then we pray. We pray for the salvation of those who are lost. We pray for the salvation of the wicked. But if they will not repent, if they, Lord, if they persist in their wickedness, would you bring them down? Would you destroy them? For that is what they deserve. Because we serve a sin-hating God. And thankfully, a prayer-hearing God today. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord.